Hello and welcome to Ad Talk. I'm your host, George Tarnopolsky of GT Programmatic Consulting. I hope you're having a great season and are undeterred by the market volatility we're observing. First, we'll discuss what a potential recession means in the world of ad tech, and we'll take a look back at 2008 and the years immediately following the last great recession. Next, we'll speak a bit about the recent rocket fuel controversy and instances of improper or unethical platform or data use. We'll even touch briefly on the Theranos book Bad Blood in this segment. And in the last part of this podcast, we'll speak about recent acquisitions and acquisition dynamics. Nexstar acquiring Tribune Media, Sir Martin's S4 acquiring Mighty Hive, iHeartMedia buying Jelly, and lastly the chatter that Accenture is bidding on the MDC Partners assets. Let's dive right in. It's no secret that there's been pretty significant market volatility recently and some fear of an upcoming recession. It's obviously a bad thing for the entire economy and for marketing as well. When the markets tighten up, the funding and exit opportunities dry up, and the marketing budgets themselves shrink. Most shocking, in my opinion, is the recent announcement that Visto, which was formerly known as Collective, has filed for bankruptcy protection and selling its assets for only $15 million to Zeta. Uh, now, Visto or Collective were valued at up to a billion dollars at one point and had raised a staggering $120 million and had bought some good companies over the years, such as Tumri and Personify. So their bankruptcy is pretty shocking. On a smaller scale, there have also been layoffs at both OpenX and at MediaMath, billed as a vehicle for eliminating redundancies and improving cash flow, but likely also as a preemptive move in the face of tightening ad budgets and potentially a weak Q4. No doubt these are hard to read about, and I'm not sure that the worst is behind us quite yet. To reflect on what we observed a decade ago and what we expect in 2019, we can probably look at 2008 as a worst-case example. So first, of course, 2007 was incredible, with the one-month spring fever over the course of which there were numerous huge deals. Google buying DoubleClick for $3.1 billion, Microsoft acquiring a Quantif for $6 billion, then WPP buying 24-7 Real Media, and Yahoo buying Right Media. Fast forward to 2008, our economy came close to collapsing, and this was accented with the bankruptcy of Lehman Brothers in September 2008. In fact, what we saw from 2008 to 2009 was that digital ad spend stayed flat at around $20 billion, incidentally a far cry from today's $100 billion. As a hopeful thought, in all of this market uncertainty, those years also saw the birth of some amazing companies. In those tough years, the entire programmatic landscape was born, with great companies like AdMeld, AppNexus, InviteMedia, MediaMath, PubMatic, and Rubicon. And the ubiquitous Lumascape was born in 2009 as well. So I think that even though economic uncertainty is scary, technology doesn't stop, and even in our darkest days, our industry is creating future segment leaders. Moving on, this is now a few weeks old, but of course there was controversy about rocket fuel recently. This started with an ad exchanger article on November 26th. Quoting from the article, multiple sources with direct knowledge tell ad exchanger that rocket fuel was regularly pooling its clients' remarketing data, creating segments, and selling the data to others without permission. 
In response, Mark Grether of Seismic, who currently owned Rocket Fuel, quickly responded with the following. Recently, a story was published about Rocket Fuel's data practices dating back to 2013. Since the acquisition in 2017, we've completely overhauled Rocket Fuel's legacy technology and data stacks to adhere with our fully transparent platform, established Seismic as an entirely new company with a new senior management team, vibrant culture, and strong set of values. Now, in my opinion, this likely wasn't the best PR move because it somewhat affirmed Ad Exchanger's report. And from my end, I also wonder if Rocket Fuel was covered by their terms of service. It's not unusual for companies to have terms of service that stipulate that client data may be used at an aggregate level. What this means is that a company like Rocket Fuel places pixels on customer websites, collects audience profiles from those pixels, aggregates profiles, for example, by vertical like automotive, and then uses that data for other campaigns. That behavior doesn't seem unusual to me. And again, I think it's worthwhile to review Rocket Fuel's terms of service or privacy policy from that time to get clarity. Uh, that said, it would definitely be unethical and undesired by customers for any technology company to use their data to target a campaign for a direct competitor. Again, this may be in a bit of gray area based on Rocket Fuel's then terms of service, but if audience data for, say, GM was manually used in a campaign for Ford, this was probably in violation of policy since the data wasn't used at an aggregate level. In general, I would say uh, Rocket Fuel is a bit of an easy target, in part because there was such a big destruction of value with their stock performance in the public markets. They were once a multi-billion dollar company and once bought X plus one for 230 million, of which 100 million was in cash, and they eventually sold the entire company for only 145 million to Seismic's owner, Vector Capital. Now, reflecting on this unethical behavior, and watching the responses on Twitter really raised some eyebrows as some of the responses came from very companies that are known to have engaged in similarly shady behavior. A common shady method is to use pixels in creative and then remarket based on past ad exposure, effectively stealing audience data from the publisher or from any data partners that are layered on. As an example, past location targeting, as an example, past location targeting is an effective and somewhat pricey tactic. A shady operator can simply use a geofence, place a pixel into creatives, and then remarket based on users exposed to the pixel in this geofence. And I've seen many companies, big and small, break publisher and partner agreements via sketchy pixel data collection, and few people ever take a stand. As a slight pivot, I've recently finished Bad Blood about Elizabeth Holmes and the rise and fall of her company Theranos. I highly recommend this book. It's very engaging and a fast read. And of course, the original value proposition of Theranos was to revolutionize diagnostic tests by doing lab work on just a finger prick versus the traditional Venus test. And the book opens up with Theranos presenting and effectively deceiving to Novartis as they demo their product. And the co-founder of Theranos, Shauna Croy, pricks his own finger, and then the Theranos reader shows the result. The secret, of course, was that the result was pre-recorded to avoid showing the faulty or inconsistent results that Theranos was later exposed for. When I read this description, it reminded me of similar examples I've seen in our own industry, product and sales demos where the results were effectively pre-recorded. 
For example, I've seen results preloaded so that a live demo runs much faster. Even at the largest companies I worked at, I've seen public product demos where a live demo suddenly switches to one that's effectively recording, running off of an HTML file on the product manager's computer. And for me, one takeaway from the Theranos book is that we all should take a stand and block unethical behavior at any company. If a product is running slowly in a live demo, challenge that with a product team versus resorting to fakery. We need to take a stand and challenge the unethical behaviors, which are also potentially illegal if they go against the company's terms of service or partner agreements. And now let's speak about recent acquisitions and acquisition dynamics. So not everything is dark. First, it's worthwhile to keep Nextstar's acquisition of Tribune Media on our radar, which happened for an eye-watering $6.4 billion. This acquisition makes Nextstar the largest broadcast TV company, and in effect a bit of a dinosaur, but they probably have broader plans, especially since they have Tony Katzer as SVP of Digital Strategy on board since 2017. In my own experience with Tony, not only is he a senior executive, but frequently the smartest guy in the room, an architect, for example, helping architect publish a addressable marketplace between News Corp, Merkel, and Sanobi. And I'd be curious to see if additional acquisitions are on the horizon. Also, what role LKQD or Liquid, which Nexstar owns, will play in this process? And in general, what Nexstar does to make this older medium an addressable one? Next, I want to give a quick shout out to Martin Sorrell's S4 acquiring Mighty Hive for $150 million. Now, Mighty Hive has some great leadership, beginning with Pete Kim, with whom I worked at Google, and based on the recent disclosure, nice looking balance sheets as well. I believe S4 reported that Mighty Hive made a $10 million profit on $40 million of revenue. From a timing perspective, it probably also makes sense for Mighty Hive to exit is they've built a reputation for helping clients take media buying in-house and away from agencies, likely burning some agency bridges in the process. Ironically, they're now part of a new and budding agency holding company themselves. I do wish them success and to other companies like them, for example, to Programmatic Mechanics or to Kepler Group, which operate a similar independent trading desk model. We've also recently seen iHeartMedia acquiring Jelly. Jelly had already been powering iHeartMedia's private marketplace, which is called SoundPoint, since 2015, and represents inventory from 850 radio stations. Purchase price wasn't disclosed, which means it was non-material to iHeartRadio, which doesn't mean that it was small. iHeartMedia themselves are a huge multi-billion dollar company, so the term non-material has a pretty high bar. As you may recall, iHeartMedia themselves are in the midst of a bankruptcy filing in order to restructure their debt. In the filing, they disclosed $20 billion in debt on $12 billion of assets, which are pretty incredible numbers. Meanwhile, iHeartMedia are continuing to acquire companies, and prior to buying Jelly, they also bought Stuff Media, which is a podcast network for $50 million. Obviously, I believe in the audio medium. And I think we'll see a huge increase in everything audio related, especially as smart speakers like Amazon Alexa become more ubiquitous. And lastly, there's chatter that Accenture is bidding on some or all assets of MDC partners. I personally have a soft spot for MDC as the former CEO Scott Kaufman was the CEO of my first ad tech company, Ad Knowledge. And I've had a long and positive history with MDC's agencies, Kirschenbaum, Assembly, and Varick. 
That said, MDC have obviously faced some intense headwinds and have had slowing revenues alongside about a billion dollars in debt. In the public markets today, they're valued at under $200 million, which is pretty incredible. This reminds me of a recent quip by Jeff Green, who said that some companies are free. Now, Accenture bidding slash buying MDC's assets would likely strengthen the position on both ends. And of course, in this new ecosystem where management consultants are playing a greater role, it likely makes sense for Accenture to acquire expertise in this way and better compete with McKinsey and with other consulting companies. So with that, let's close out today's episode. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud, as well as our website, gtconsult.us. Please leave us a review and again visit gtconsult.us. Thanks and take care.